we welcome you to the Truth Simply Put, our broadcast and teaching series at the Basilea Commission. You're about to receive God's unadulterated word, brought to you by Pastor Alexander Victor. Challenging, uplifting, and provoking you to new dimensions in your kingdom walk. And now, today's message. It is the Christ Conscious Believer, and today marks part 19. I believe, yeah, part 19, and that's crazy. <laughs> you know, that means we've been on this for about 16 weeks, uh, or about four months, pretty much, um, on one teaching series, just one out of, out of a lot. And um, we, are, we are somewhere kind of past the halfway mark and, and beginning to look towards the, the remaining stretch of the series. So... We, we should be done by, by the time we hit part 30. <laughs> We're going to be considering the 10th hallmark of a Christ-conscious believer. In case you're joining us and you haven't followed through, please avail yourself. We're dealing with the 10th hallmark of a Christ-conscious believer, and that is that the Christ-conscious believer is fixated on eternal realities more than earthly pursuits. And this is crucial. The Christ-conscious believer is fixated on eternal realities more than earthly pursuits. Let me start off with this straight off. Any gospel, any submission, any theology, any doctrine that champions earthly acquisitions and material gain above spiritual realities is a fraud. Any. Any gospel, any doctrine, any theology, any spiritual submission, any, any biblical persuasion that, that sells to you the championing of, of earthly acquisitions, of material gain at the expense of or before spiritual realities is a fraud. I'll tell you why. Because you see, the word, we have talked about this in our local church. We understand this very well. And sometimes people try to downplay it. But if you don't understand this reality, then you will struggle with everything else about tangibility in your walk with God. We have said over and over that everything in the natural is an outplay of what pervades in the spiritual. That by the things that are seen, that's what Paul says, right? That by the things that are visible, the invisible things can be comprehended. So there are invisible things that cannot be comprehended in the absence of visible things. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? And that is the example that God set from the very beginning of creation. You see in Genesis where he's, he creates the earth and then he puts man in the garden. And when we say things like that, that, like that, that the lamb was slain before you know, the foundation of the world, so it means that before this, a sin was committed, the price had been paid. And the contrary, it, 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 even, it even appears to be that it was the, 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 the provision of the sacrifice that triggered the sin as opposed to the other way around. Because if it was that man sinned and then God began to think of a provision, then it will make God reactionary instead of proactionary. Does that make sense? And God is not reactionary in the sense that he does not react to what happens because that will mean that he is not omniscient. Are you following? It means that he doesn't know all things because if he knew all things, then certainly nothing should take him by surprise. And there's a problem if you have a reactionary God because it means that something would have already gone wrong at every point in time before God then steps in and sees how to mitigate or repair what has gone wrong. And so we must be careful in our theology of God that we do not reduce his omniscience to our limited understanding. 
If, if that is the case, then it will mean that man fell and then God then needed to do something to repair it. On the contrary, God knew that man would fall and he's in his proactionary, omniscient, all-knowing nature had already made provision for man that he will be redeemed at the time of his fall. Now, if God began to speak to Adam at the time of Genesis 1, 2, and 3 and began to explain to him that this is what my game plan is, it would have made absolutely no sense to Adam. Are you following? Moses, who was the one that wrote that book and the four other books after that, would have also had a hard time uh, interpreting it in just the light of the invisible, all right? In just the light of the unseen. So everything God does from, the, from creation is to put what cannot be seen on display. So that we, don't, we, have, we have to be careful to not get caught up in what is seen and detach the, what what is seen is pointing to which is the important thing beyond what is seen so what it's what is seen and i've dealt with this over and over in the course of teachings in our local church what is seen is only as important as what it points to now by all means enjoy what is seen by all means make the best of what is seen but by no means should you settle at what is seen or think of what is seen as the ultimate you will miss it because everything that is tangible is just a pointer to the intangible and that's why I was thinking about it and we preach from Ephesians 5 in weddings all over the place and we say husbands love your wives it means husband look after her and if we preach all of that and we don't see what that visibility, that tangibility is pointing to both we the preachers and the people being married and the marriage are doomed. Because what is seen, I repeat, is only as important as what it points to. But what it points to is unseen and will constantly remain unseen in the absence of what is seen. So that by what is seen, we are able to appreciate what is unseen. By these visible things, Paul writes, his invisible attributes are clearly known. So that we look to what is seen to appreciate what is not seen. Are you following me? So we come to, to, to the Garden of Eden and we see um, God having made man in his image after his likeness. And I've taught you guys in this house that the image of God is Christ. Right? Hebrews 1 makes that clear. Colossians 1 makes that clear. The New Testament is loud on that Christ is the express image of his person. Right? He's the image of God. Second Corinthians 3 also deals with that. Right? That as we beholding as in a glass, the same image. And I've explained to you what image is. A konos, a direct representation and reflection of something. We dealt with that in the last um, two parts, I believe, that we went through. So Christ is the image of God. So when God made man in his image, how did God make him? Christ what was the consultation pattern what was the that's why Jesus in the New Testament is called prototokon right the first firstborn of creation the one from which everyone else derives right so God made Adam in 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 his image and that's why he's called the first Adam and Jesus is called the second which is also the last Adam are we together so far and he puts him there and then God follow me carefully I'm just trying to point something out before I go into the teaching this is important because I started by saying that any gospel any theology right any any doctrine any spiritual persuasion that submits anything to you that champions earthly gain our earthly acquisition and material gain above spiritual realities is a fraud that once you understand that then you begin to rethink how you approach understanding of God's word 
And it's important because if you don't approach your understanding of God's words correct, God's word correctly, you will preach messages and sermons that have nothing to do with why they were written. And that's the error that pervades in the church. That's the error that for years I've watched people teach how, you know, you will kill all your Goliath in Jesus' name. And I generally try to mind my business, you know, especially online in this crazy world. But a few weeks ago, about a week ago or so, I had to put a little something up and remind people that, my friend, you are not David. At best, you are those people that were hiding in the back, not knowing what to do because they were hell bound by the terror of the law. And if we don't understand that this thing, the entire narrative is one person, you'll be in trouble. God made man, makes man in his own image, calls him Adam, calls him the first Adam, the first prototocon, right? The first prototype, right? And puts him in the garden. Then God comes. Watch me carefully. God comes and says, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helpmate suitable for him. God made one man and said that one man was not enough. God made that one Adam and said that one Adam was not enough. He cannot enjoy all this thing alone. He needs help. Because man was not created for work. Man was created for fellowship. It was God that walked. That's why it was God that rested. So God was not creating man so that man will work in that sense. And he says it's not good for man to be alone. I will create a helper suitable for him. And what, what does God do? God puts man to, to sleep. Adam to sleep, dead sleep, deep sleep. Basically, God kills Adam. As Adam awakens, he looks and he says, this is bone of my bone. This is flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. God gives his only son, one son. He has one son and he realizes one son is not enough. It's not one son I'm after. I need people to enjoy and share this sonship with this son. How is that going to work? You know what, son? Sleep. It was fitting for him in bringing many sons into glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. The first Adam sleeps, a bride follows. The second Adam sleeps, the church follows. That's the narrative of the scriptures. It's not about you. And you continue to argue blindly and trying to bring false exegesis, which is tantamount to ACGesis, if you don't understand that the natural things are only pointers to the invisible things. You have to read what is seen from the lens of what is not seen, that what, what is seen is trying to put on display. The entire thing was a narrative, redemption narrative of Christ and the church. You, you're, you're looking at me, you're going, okay, finish the rest of it. I've shared this before. And then there, the wife now is there. That did not come of her own making. The wife did not come by works. The wife did not come by performance. She arrived as wife. She arrived as Eve. She didn't even know her identity. Her husband from which she came had to inform her, you are wife, you are righteous, you are holy, you are justified. This is how you arrived because of from where you were derived. Are you seeing yourself? 
And then the adversary comes to tempt the woman who sinned. Eve, Paul makes it clear in the New Testament that it wasn't the man, it was the woman. Where does that place Adam? It placed Adam as willfully taking on the sin of his wife and therefore taking her punishment. Adam became the sin of Eve. And right there you see the exchange take place. There was no way Adam would have come back and been comfortable to see his wife estranged from God, forever lost because she was the one that sinned and Adam would just chill and go, well, let's make another bride because it was not even his power to do that in the first place. So he comes and he says, what have you done? And she says, well, I had this conversation with the serpent and he gave me, you ate that, let me have that too. And he partakes of her sin. For he made him who knew no sin. So all through scripture you see types and shadows. All through scripture. The entire scriptures. is one story. About one person. So to find yourself. You must find yourself. In having found him. In what is written. In other words, you cannot take a story and preach it about yourself. The story is about him. You must see him in the story and then seeing him in the story then informs you of your part in that story. One of the most devastating messages I've heard lately is one of a, 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 a person who preached the, 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 the three parables in Luke 15 and none of them had anything to do with Christ or redemption had everything to do with you and what you lost and what the devil stole from you and what your and, I, and recently I watched another person another famous preacher preaching um, uh, what is seen is, 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 is temporal and what is not seen is eternal and, and was not in any way referring to our redemption narrative was referring to dreams and visions the things you see now and those are the views and the videos that get hundreds of thousands of views and get social media traction because they are esoteric. And then they are based on what people want to hear. Which is little wonder because Jesus says that in the, in the word says that in those days they will heap up unto themselves. False prophets because they will develop itchy ears. If you're in a place where you're being told what you want to hear, you, have, you better be careful. Because chances are that you're in the wrong place. Listening to the wrong person. Saying the wrong things in order to get the wrong results. It's what you need to hear. That you are told. That's where you ought to be, what you need to hear. If, and that's why you cannot be averse to correction. You cannot be in a place where you get offended when you're corrected. You want to be patronized. Might as well be a politician. Are you getting this tonight? So that's, that's, that's the start off for this, that we understand clearly that there's not, no teaching, no preaching that glorifies earthly acquisitions at the expense of. And so you see a lot of local churches, you see a lot of gatherings and conferences that are earmarked or are geared towards consolidating or harnessing or maximizing human potential. Marketplace relevance. And there's, there's nothing wrong with that if the people that are doing it are teaching it. But that's not what church is for. I've said over and over, then if we are saying that we're saved by grace through faith, how come Paul never taught a sermon on how to make money? How come he never majored on the things that we major on? Because everything that we should 
everything that we get in the earth, everything that our pursuit is, should be what puts what is coming on display. Do we understand that? Look at Philippians 3 and 20. Actually, let's go from 17 just so we can enjoy the pretext a little bit. Brethren, that's the word what? In this house, you know that word to mean what? Adelphos, which means of the same womb. Yeah? Kindred, from the same womb. The word Delphos is the word for womb. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk, of whom I've told you often, and now tell you, even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Who are the enemies of the cross of Christ? Verse 19. Those whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, or whose belly is their God. Make sense? Whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. What are they called? Enemies of the cross. Is that in your Bible? Flip to the TPT and stay in verse 19. Let's get this thing straight tonight. Doom awaits them. Their God has possessed them. Go on. And made them mute. Their boast is in their shameful lifestyles and their minds are in the dirt. Let's see it in the message. Verse 19. Philippians 3 and 19. But easy street is a dead end street. Those who live there on easy street, right? Which is a dead end street. Make their bellies their gods. In other words, what you will eat, what you will amass, what you will get now. Belches are their praise. Mm, you know when you eat and you belt. <laughs> I feel like you've arrived, a big man. All they can think of is their appetites. Is that the end of 19? All they can think of is their appetites. How does the NLT put this? Let's see. Look at it. A bit more. The NLT says they are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. And they brag about shameful things and they think only about this life here on earth. Go back to the, stay, stay here. Faith is a destruction whose God is their belly, go on the amplified, their worldly appetite, their sensuality and their vanity, and whose glory is in their shame, who focus their mind on earthly and temporal things. And what does verse 18 call this bunch of people? Enemies of the cross. When the message, put up verse 20 in the message. Of course, New King James says we are, our citizenship is in heaven from where we eagerly, eagerly expect a savior. The, the message says, but there's far more to life for us. Can you say there's far more to life for me? Say it again. Say there's far more to life for me. Let's continue that text. We are citizens of high heaven. We are waiting the arrival of the Savior, the Master, Jesus Christ. See verse 20 again in the TPT. But we, but, creates a distinguishing between us and enemies of the cross. So even if people came and were believers or were Christians, as they call themselves, 
The litmus test is this. Make sense? But we, therefore, are a colony of heaven on earth as we cling tightly to our life giver, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you can go back to the New King James and stay in verse 20. For our sin, go back to 19 actually. I need, I need 19. I need to see something in 19. Whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame. This next line is what is important. Who set their mind on earthly things. How does he render verse 18? Where he talks about being enemies of the cross. How does he render verse 18? In, 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 the, in the TPT of the message. Thank you, Father. The Christ conscious believer is fixated on eternal realities more than on earthly pursuits. Have that at your thought. For there are many who live by different standards, verse 18 of Philippians 3 in the Passion Translation. As I've warned you many times, I weep as I write these words. They are enemies of the cross. Same words. Right? How does the message put it? Verse 18. There are many out there taking other paths, choosing other goals, trying to get you to go along with them. I've warned you of them many times. Sadly, I'm having to do it again. All they want is easy street. They hate Christ's cross. How do you know enemies of the cross? They sell you an easy way out. How do you know enemies of the cross? They make it all about what you can get. I was watching a video online. You know, sometimes you see some things I think is a joke, but it's real. About a guy who was selling a prophet, Ghanaian prophet in South Africa, who was selling oils of different kinds. He said, I have oils for everything. My oils are original. Their oils is fish oil. They add color, color. You know, they add color, you know, and, and say, my, my, my oils is original. I, I get it from Israel. If my try my oils, my oil doesn't work, come to me, I'll give you your money back. Then he asked, he was apparently being interviewed in his office, and he asked them to bring him some of the oils. He said, I have the oil that has knife inside. Then they brought the oil, he showed it, he said, it's two colors. Two colors. The colors they mix with knife inside. How does the knife get inside? If you open it and turn it, the knife don't come out. He said, this knife is called kill your enemy or kill evil. Something is written on the bottle. He said, you, I, I will let you open it and call the name of somebody three times. And that night, somebody must die. This is a prophet. Had another one called crowd puller. Labeled. Labeled on a TV interview. Crowd puller. If you are running church and children are not coming, you are running church, nobody's coming to church, you know, you are running business, nobody's coming to business. Crowd puller. Then he had a third oil, I can't remember the name of that one. And he's selling oils. He said, I've been doing this work for a very long time. I know this work. Nobody knows this work more than me. Anybody selling to you an easy way out is an enemy of the cross. You saw it in scripture. That's why I take my time to read multiple translations. And do a pretext. So you can get the context and understand. We're not just lifting up something to say what it doesn't mean. Because that's a lame approach to Bible study and teaching. Only cowards do that. Do you understand? It's a coward that will take one verse and hide you from what the verse 
where the verse is coming from and hide you from where the verse is going just so that he can make the verse say what he wants it to say. A true teacher of God's word sits with the text and brings out what the text intended to say. We're not afraid to investigate where it's coming from and where it's going. So when we make statements like this, we make them on good authority because we have looked at what the word says. I didn't invent the phrase enemy of the cross. It's there in your Bible. And it, it doesn't leave it ambiguously for you to be the one to define it according to philosophia. It defines it for you. Their belly is their God. Their end is their destruction. Their glory is their shame. They are caught up in their selves because their minds are set on earthly things. So to be set on earthly things is to pitch yourself against the cross of Christ. To be set on earthly things, and you might not like this message tonight, but we're going to say this truth anyway. To be set on earthly things, to be, to be caught up by carnal pursuits at the expense of what those things should point to or what they should facilitate or what they should put on display is to pitch yourself against the cross. As you see in your Bible. Because you cannot claim that your citizenship is from a place that you're not investing in. You cannot claim that your citizenship is from a place you're not investing in. For Jesus says, and we'll get there in a bit, he says, where the treasure of a man is, there his heart also is. So you cannot claim that your heart is in a place that has not cost you anything. Are you following me tonight? So we have understood from this scripture that being consumed by earthly things is a carnal way of thinking. Right? Being consumed by earthly things is a carnal way of thinking. It's an antichrist way of thinking. Right? I'm going to go even further and show you from scripture, from the words of Jesus, how being con 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 consumed by earthly pursuits is actually a satanic, demonic mindset. And that will lend credence to where we're coming from in Philippians 3. Are you following me? And we'll look at that text carefully. Matthew 16. Again, it is a text that will correct some of the wrong approach that some of us have had of it. Hallelujah. Matthew 16, you see a conversation that Jesus is having from 21. You see where Jesus was. Mark this carefully. From that time, and this was the time, what that time being referred to is where um, Jesus had asked his disciples earlier in Matthew 16, who do men say that I am, right? And then he says, some say you are Elijah, some say you are John the Baptist and all that. Then Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And then Peter, by the spirit of God, yeah, Peter, by the spirit of God, Petra said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, right? And Jesus said to him, he said, well, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven, therefore you are rock, Petros, all right? Because of what had, what, what had informed that revelation. And upon this revelation that has been informed, that is the rock upon which I will build my church, not Peter. Make sense? So that was, that was the, um, the um, backdrop, you know. And then he commanded his disciples to not tell anybody that he was the Christ. Yeah? So 21 now says, from that time, from what time? The time of the revelation of his deity to his disciples. Are you following me? 21. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must, so you see the narrative, that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. Stay in 21. Please stay in 21. Remember where I came from in Philippians 3? 
And I said, an enemy of the cross is anyone that shows you the easy way out. And then we've gone on to say that not only is being carnally minded, uh, 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 um, not only is being earthly minded, carnal is also satanic and demonic. And then we're seeing Jesus now saying, now that you've understood who I am, he, I, let me start to show you how, he, go on from again, how Jesus began to show them how his disciples, how he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised on the third day. So you see, did all these things happen? Did all these things happen? Did all these things happen? Did they take Jesus by surprise? Should they have taken the disciples by surprise? Why did they take them by surprise? Because they were carnally minded. Jesus began to, it means it wasn't a one-off thing. Jesus began to consciously school them. This is what is happening. I will go to Jerusalem. The scribes and the priests will plot against me. They will catch me. They will kill me, but I will rise. How much clearer could he have been? Why then in Luke 24 are those two guys on the way to Emmaus arguing and telling Jesus, are you a stranger in this place? Have you not heard what is going on? They had absolutely no expectation of his resurrection. Why? They had no expectation of his resurrection. And everybody tries to kill Thomas because he was, just was the one that was not there. The others weren't any better than he was. They had no expectation. Why did Peter still pull out the sword and cut off the chief priest's servant's ear when Jesus had spent time showing you, exposing to you that here's what is coming. Why did they miss it? You see it in verse 22 now. Go on. Matthew 16, 22. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. So why did they begin to fight back when it's there happening? They were in denial. They were not ignorant. They were defiant. Are you getting this? They were not ignorant. They, they couldn't claim not to have known what was coming. They were defiant. They were hoping that what was coming is not what it should be. Stay in 22 and switch to TPT. Let's see what modern English renders it to be. Peter took him aside to correct him privately. Can you imagine? Peter took him aside to correct him privately. Look at what the next thing Peter did. Peter reprimanded Jesus. Not once. Over and over. Saying to him, God forbid, master, spare yourself. You must never let this happen to you. Message. Spare yourself. You don't know what you are saying. We are beginning to enjoy you. We are beginning to enjoy being disciples. You know, this two by two thing is really fun. You know, people receiving us and as in giving us a cup of water in the name of a prophet. You know, that thing is really cool. You don't say you want to die. Peter took him in hand, protesting. Impossible. Master, that can never be. 23. But Jesus didn't swerve. And he says, Peter, get out of my way. Satan, get lost. You have no idea how God works. Switch to the TPT and walk our way back. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get out of my way, you Satan. You are an offense to me. 
Because your thoughts are only filled with man's viewpoints and not with the way of God. So what is satanic? Any paradigm that is fixed or filled with man's viewpoints at the expense of the ways of God. In other words, these are the hallmarks of how Satan operates. That's why Satan, Satanas in the, in the, or Satanos in the Greek means an adversary. One who is pitched against. How does he operate? By getting you to be fixated on earthly viewpoints and not on the ways of God. So, a few moments earlier, a few days earlier, a few weeks earlier, the same Peter gets the revelation of God by the endowment of the Father. The revelation of Jesus by the endowment of the Father. Short while later, the same Peter, being carnally minded, got caught up in not just demonic practice, but in the embodiment of satanic oppression. And what did Jesus con consider satanic? A man whose mind is filled with earthly viewpoints, earthly pursuits at the expense of the way that God wants things done as an enemy of the cross. Go back to New King James. You see why I said that this series, Christ Conscious Believer, will revolutionize your whole life if you paid attention to it. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. The word offense is the same word for stumbling block, scandalon in the Greek, from which you get the word scandal. For you are not mindful, phronase, of the things of God, but the things of man. Anthropos, that's the word from which you get the word anthropology, the study of man. So it is outright satanic, not just is it antichrist, not just is it carnal, it is outright satanic manifestation for a so-called believer or Christian to be pitched against God's eternal plan in favor of earthly pursuits. Where then does that place all the pastors that have thousands of people packed in their auditoria and millions of others under their social media or TV influence teaching them how to be earthly? I speak on the authority of God's word rightly divided. Where does that place them? On what side of the cross? Does he place them as people who deserve a crown? Or does he place them as scandalon? Stumbling block to the ways of God. And that's where the whole seeker-friendly, performance-based, needs-based Christianity has evolved from. Give people what they want or they will walk. Give people what they want to hear or they will walk. Sing the songs they want. You went to a place, you don't like the way they sing. And so you got up and left. You didn't like the way the pastor dresses. How would you say this kind of thing of me? And so you walk away. And we reduce Christ to the easy way out. When he himself had so many easy ways out and he chose none. None. You know what? I, I have a choice to let this cup pass by me. Nevertheless, not my will. Not earthly thinking. Not my agenda. That was what John missed, the Baptist. It cost him his head. 
He made clear John was not in doubt of his assignment. In the same way that Peter understood by revelation that Jesus was the Christ. How that he would be crucified. How that he is the son of God. And then when it was time for him to manifest the revelation that Peter received. Peter himself, Satan entered him. John the Baptist made clear. He said the one who is coming after me has been before me. Even though John on earth was older than Jesus. By six months. But he had enough revelation to understand that the one that is coming after me was before me. And I'm, I'm not worthy to, to, to untie the laces of his shoes. He says, I'm just baptizing you with water for repentance. In other words, what I'm doing for you now will not help you beyond getting you to identify him when he comes. And John made that disclaimer. That's why he was confused when Jesus came to him to be baptized. Ah, <laughs> eh, what now? How? My baptism carries no virtue. Jesus said to John the Baptist, Suffer these things to be so, that all righteousness might be. Do you know what it means? Spudazo, suffer. I know you're uncomfortable baptizing me. For just manage, eh? try, pull yourself together. In other words, be a man and baptize me. So that it will not be said that a Jew showed up in honor of John's ministry in preparation for the Messiah and was not baptized. Not that he had any virtue. Because if he did, John would have not had a problem resisting Jesus. But he had a problem. He said, no, I can't baptize. No, no, no. no. This is baptizing to arrange them for you. <laughs> you now came. But he made it clear, he said, I'm baptizing you with water. He didn't leave ambiguous the substance with which he was baptizing. I am baptizing you with water for repentance. But he that is coming will baptize you with, again, with defines the substance. He will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And I've taught you in this house is the Greek word kai. To, that means that is to say or that is i.e. That's why Holy Ghost and fire go together. John made it clear. So the moment John announced in verse 29 of John 1. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. What happened next? John's disciples left him. To follow the one that John was preparing the way for. Then John got offended. What should John have done if he had no ministerial agenda? The moment Jesus showed up and was baptized and was leaving the water. That's how John will gather his things. Gather his remaining locusts and honey. Gather his bare skin. Fold it and say, he that I have prepared the way for is here. He is the way. All I need to do is follow. No, John tried to remain in ministry. John the Baptist tried to remain in ministry to stay relevant. Of what relevance was his ministry when he came to show the way and the way was here. Tried to try and remix Okay, let me still be doing it on this side and be pushing people to you. Let me, you know, let me, what, what was on his mind, if not carnal mind? Satan took advantage of it. 
Because next thing John is in prison. And the same John that announced Jesus. Jesus did not announce Jesus. The Holy Ghost did not announce Jesus. The Father did not announce Jesus before John. Who introduced Jesus to the world system? John. How did he introduce Jesus to the world system? By the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost was upon John for the sole purpose of revealing Jesus. For the sole purpose of the revelation of Christ. That was the only thing for which the Holy Spirit was in him. At a time where he hadn't started to tabernacle in men. Did he fulfill the purpose? Yes. Because we see that in John chapter 1. Oh Holy Spirit. We see that in John chapter 1. Hallelujah. From verse 29. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 30. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me. For he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore I came baptizing with water. Hmm? Why was he baptizing with water? That Jesus should be revealed to Israel. Not that men be saved. Not that their sins be washed away and they come out of the water a new man. Because if any man be in Christ, not if any man be in water, that he should be revealed to Israel, therefore I came baptizing with water. 32. And John bore witness. Am I too loud in the house? Are you guys okay? John bore witness saying, I saw the spirit. Can you see that? It takes a spirit man to see spirit. I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove and he remained, he, the Holy Spirit, remained upon him. Hmm? I did not know him, John says, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, upon whom you see the spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. You, as you are baptizing with water, open your eyes. I will show you the person that will baptize the real baptism. So what was John's baptism? Nothing beyond a shadow of what was yet unseen. The average man could not understand that somebody is coming who will baptize them with the spirit they cannot see. So God says to John, baptize them with what they can see. To reveal what they cannot see. But the reason why you are baptizing with what you can see, I will open your eyes so that as you are baptizing with what you can see, you will see what what you can see is pointing to. You will see. Or he upon whom you see the substance of the real baptism. What will he be baptizing with? Holy Spirit. How would you know that it's him? Holy Spirit, you would descend on him, one, and remain on him. He's the one that will baptize with what cannot be seen. Of which your baptism with what can be seen is a type and shadow. What excuse did John have to miss this? 34. And, and I have seen and testified that this is the son of God. How did he know this was the son of God? By the spirit. Make sense? By the spirit. So how did he miss it? Because his mind swerved from spiritual things or from God's will or from God's way to carnal things. Because the moment you saw that spirit came, then you must have had a little bit of time to observe 
I said, oh, this spirit that came remained though. This is the one. By 34, when he said, I have seen and testified that this is the son of God. That was the end of John the Baptist's ministry. But John the Baptist tried to remain in ministry and began to try to stay relevant by earthly standards. Luke chapter 7, 16. This is after the centurion's servant is healed. Yeah, I say to one, go, he goes, remember? One come, he comes. 16, then, great, then fear came upon all and they glorified God, saying, a great prophet has a reason, reason up rather, among us. Right? That was the word going around. Right? And the other report was what? God has visited his people. So they identified Jesus as God. It's clear. A great prophet, God has visited his people. And this report, verse 17, about him went throughout all. Somebody say all. All Judea and all the surrounding region. That means we can safely conclude there was no ear that did not hear that a great prophet had risen among us and that God has visited his people. Right? This was the report that got to John in verse 18. Then the disciples of John reported to him concerning all these things. Now we know what all these things are. 19, look at this. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus saying, are you the coming one or do we look for another? TPT, Luke 7, 19. So John dispatched two of his disciples to go and inquire of Jesus. Go on. When they came before the master, they asked him, are you the coming Messiah we've been expecting or are we to continue to look for someone else? John the prophet has sent us to you to seek your answer. Message. He sent two of them to the master to ask the question, are you the one we've been expecting or are we still waiting? 21. And <laughs> see what Jesus did when they came. Jesus sat them down. Hmm? Gave them Zobo to drink. And while they were watching Jesus, he healed a few sick. Look at it. In the next two or three, go back, go back. In the next two or three hours hmm? in their presence, Jesus healed many from diseases Distressed and evil spirits. To many of the blind he gave the gift of sight. Verse 22. Then he gave his answer. Go back and tell John what you have seen. And heard. The blind see. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. Go on. The dead are raised. The wretched of the earth have God's salvation hospitality extended to them. 23. Is this what you are expecting? then count yourselves fortunate. Dispatch them with that message. Me in the first place, if I was these two disciples, when I get to John and tell John, I'm turning back and I'm going back to the person that sat me down, eh? healed a few, raised a few dead, opened a few blind eyes. When I'm serving a master that is not sure anymore if the person he identified is the Messiah. His head on the platter of Herodias was God's way of calling him home. Did you hear what I said? His head on the platter of Herod's daughter on the only second birthday recorded in the Bible. It's only bad guys birthday in the Bible that was recorded. Pharaoh and Herod. No other. No other. Even the birthday of Jesus was not mentioned. 
Not Paul, not Peter, not Bobby, not Joseph, not David, not even Goliath. <laughs> Pharaoh's birthday, Herod's birthday. Continue. You will not be offended that we didn't call you on your birthday. You are carnally minded. And if you don't check the extent of your engagement, you are in satanic oppression because it's a stumbling block. So why did John's head have to roll? Because he had become an offense to the cross. He had become scandalon to the cross. So he was extracted. There's grave consequence for getting caught up in earthly pursuit. There's great grave consequence for getting caught up in what today's church organization has sold to you as why you are saved. There's great consequence in getting caught up in a place where the gospel is only remotely taught in Believer's Foundation class. I present to you the gospel by which you were saved and in which you also stand. 1 Corinthians 15. You don't get saved by the gospel and stand in commerce. And stand in relation. I watched something on Facebook. I'm a pastor. Somebody sent me a message and talked to me about it and I gave her advice of a people that just got married and the person put on his, on his Facebook group or whatever of thousands of people that he entered a covenant with God that anytime he's kissing his wife, miracles should be happening in the vicinity of where he's kissing his wife. That's the covenant he made with God. That's satanic and antichrist. I'm saying it here. I'm not in, I'm not in hiding. I owe it a duty to the sheep of God under my care. Acts 20, 28. To take heed to yourself and the sheep of God within your care as those that will give account. As those that he purchased with his own blood. First Peter 5, 1 and 2 echo the same thing. That's why I speak the way that I speak. Every time he's kissing his wife, young man, this miracle should be happening. Miraculous things in the vicinity should be going on. That's sensuality. He didn't stop there. He went on to say, what covenant have you entered with your wife? Brother, what covenant have you entered with God for your wife's breasts? So that when you are touching her breast, things are happening. Because the cross is no longer enough. Now we need breasts and kissing to cause the miraculous to happen. And hundreds of young people who think that that is the person that is called to teach them relationship and marriage are reply and say, thank you, Papa and Mama. This is deep rema. Deep revelation, deep rema. You can notice the look on my face. I'm not laughing because there's people who are lost in this nonsense and caught up in antichrist demonic practices. Who is your pastor? Who taught you Christ? We are championing absolute satanic Cross anti cross practices. Who told you you can enter covenant with God? How much more with kissing and touching your wife's breast? And so God now used the touching of your breast because it's no longer enough for you to understand the simplicity of marriage. You want to make it a deep thing, a deep thing that only you have the manual to. Are you following me? So now we have to follow you and follow your manual. Let God be true and let every man be a liar. This nonsense has to stop. I don't speak as one that has apprehended, but as one who has seen he who has seen me. 
That's what, that's what Hagar told Jesus when she saw Jesus in Genesis chapter 16. It wasn't an ordinary random angel. She saw the angel of the Lord. That was pre-incarnate Christ. Christ without a body. Christ before he became son in the flesh. She said, I've seen the one. You can't say that of an angel. La Hyroi, the place is called La Hyroi, for I've seen the one who sees me. And in an era where people thought that to see God was death, she saw God and received life. That was Jesus. She saw him and her son came back to life. Received water. Life. Jesus showed up doing things pre-incarnate. Genesis 16. We speak as ones who have seen the one who has seen us. And therefore are keeping her eyes fixed on him even if it kills us. If we fall, we fall forward. If we stumble, we stumble forward. If we mess up, we mess up in our journey of apprehending that for which we have been apprehended. Not for teaching people lies. I will not teach you a lie because the truth is too high for me to attain. I will teach you truth and then also be trying to attain it by the grace of him who has called us and gave himself for us. Are you, are you he who is to come? Or should we expect another? In other words, did I identify you wrongly? Why? Because he got caught up in carnal things. Got caught up, caught up in the natural. Caught up in personal pursuits. Caught up in trying to stay relevant. Should I start, should I reboot my ministry and start looking to identify another Jesus? Should I continue baptizing with water? How do I stay relevant in this thing? And he got extracted. Back to Matthew 16 and 23. Oh, Jesus, 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 Jesus. Ah. Oh, maladisi. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right, let's try and go on. 23. Matthew 16, 23. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are on offense to me for... For you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. So anybody who is not mindful of God's will, consciously pitched against him is an offense to him. Stumbling block. Let's look at this 23 crucially. Forensic exegesis. Remember how we did Romans 8.29? And I'll leave it here for today because I can't finish this today. The word turned. <laughs> is the word Strafase, and that's S-T-R-A-P-E-P-H-E-I-S, Strafase, from the word strafo, Strafase, S-T-R-A-P-H-E-I-S, from the word strafo. And it doesn't just mean turn, as in the physical. It means to convert by switching direction. That is, to go the other way in an about face. Make sense? It means to take an opposite or divergent course. 
It graphically illustrates a dynamic change. What does it mean? To convert by changing or switching direction. That's to go the other way and about face. It means to take an opposite or divergent course. And graphically, when used graphically, it illustrates a dynamic change or a transitioning. So against that backdrop, if you look at 16 and verse 22, you see that from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and must suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside. So what did Peter do? Peter came to change the narrative. Are you following? Peter came and took the whole thing into another dimension. A satanic dimension. Do you understand? He changed the entire dynamic of it. In other words, what crossed the mind of Peter that gave voice to his words was potent enough to change the entire dynamic of God's will. Do you understand? Just, so we're going in this way. I'm teaching you how we're going to, I'm going to have to suffer. I'm going to have to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to fall into the, the pre of, of, of this, the chief priests and scribes. I'm going to be crucified and I'm going to rise on the third day. And Peter just comes with that carnal mind. Earthly things. Anthropology. Came and what that did was to mess up the clarity of God's will. So what did Jesus do? Jesus came now and had to employ the same dynamic of Peter and turn the narrative around. Because picture is Samuel. Come to me quickly. Leave the camera. Come to me. Come up here. Come up here. So Peter took Jesus aside and was talking to him and said, Jesus, you cannot do this kind of thing. You cannot do this kind of thing. It's not that Peter turned, Jesus turned to Peter. It will not make any sense. It wasn't a physical turning because and Peter had taken Jesus aside. They, did, they, they didn't need to turn to look at each other and have conversations. And Peter reprimanding Jesus like this. It will not have been, so Jesus, let us, you know, Jesus. So that Jesus will have to turn physically and face Peter. Because Peter, are you following me? He took Jesus aside and said, Jesus, let me tell you this thing. You cannot be talking about dying at this point in time. Far, God forbid. Do you understand? I'm trying to advise you. Because you see, you have been Jesus for like two and a half years. Me, I've been a fisherman. I've been long in my business for a very long time. I understand how these things work. You don't extract a product when it's just beginning to gain traction. So you can't go out and be saying this kind of thing. And you, you know how Thomas is at any small thing, he'll be doubting. You know, there's how these disciples and Simon the Zealot and, and Thaddeus that doesn't even talk much, you don't know anything that Thaddeus has done. There's how Thaddeus will now start to look at you and think that ah, it's true, you might possibly die. And then you see what happened to John and his disciples. We will not have nobody to follow. The church will not grow the way it us to grow. So I'm just advising you. I'm not saying I'm Jesus so because I know you are Jesus, but even in the Peter that I am, I have experience in the Peter. So that's how I'm using my Peteric experience to give you Jesusic advice. Jesus will not have needed to turn to Peter in a physical sense. Thank you, sir. Do you get it now? So the word turned. Strafeos. Strafesis was not he turned physically and faced Peter. It was that Jesus changed, consciously changed the dynamic of what Peter was operating by. Are you following? Changed because Peter came with a dynamic. Peter came with a confrontational spirit. John, what God had ordained from the foundation of the world in one moment of sensual reasoning, Peter came and withstood eternity. Imagine a lamb that had been slain from the foundation of the world when the time was about to happen. Peter came 
Why? Because the adversary, Satanos, took possession of a man who became, even if momentarily, carnally minded. One moment of taking your eyes off heaven and looking at what you stand to gain can pit you against eternity. So Jesus had to come in and switch it, change the dynamic, cause a transition. So you can't talk like that. You can't change this. It's like somebody driving the wheel of the steering of a car in a particular direction and then you aggressively catch it and wrench it back into order. Because if you don't do that, eternity is lost in one moment of thinking about what you stand to gain. One moment of thinking what you stand to gain. Straface to go an other way, to take a divergent course. When he said Jesus turned to Peter, it wasn't that he turned and faced him physically. Do you understand? He attacked him, confronted him with a view to change that dynamic forcefully. And that's what happens. That's what you should do as a son of God. When anything or anyone comes in your way to so much as whisper something to you that takes the emphasis off eternal pursuit. Even if it is in the name of Jesus. What do you do? To them. Change the dynamic. Shout in their face. Tell them, my citizenship is in heaven. Not of this world. It's not about what I stand to gain here. Come and confuse me. Come and teach me and give me give me styles of how to do ministry. Teach me how to do life. Tell me I'm not wise. If God chose to be foolish, his foolishness is wiser than the wisdom of man. That's what you should do when these things come at you. You do a straight face. You turn and face it. You can't, don't, don't speak that to my ear. And you judge it. You refuse. You take control of it. You reposition it. That was the word Jesus turned to Peter. And then he said, Get thee behind me. The word get is the word upage from the Greek word hupago. Upage, U-P-A-G-E. U-P-A-G-E. From the word hupago, which is H-U-P-A-G-O. And to interest you to find out what the word get in that sense means, you know, get thee behind me sounds like you're running away. Get, get which is upage from the word hupago, which means to lead and bring under. So it wasn't get thee behind me as in come on physically. It was now that I've confronted that dynamic, I am subjecting the dynamic beneath me such that I step in front of the dynamic. That was get. Hupago. The board for behind gives more light to it. The word for behind is the word opiso. O-P-I-S-O. And opiso simply means backwards such that you are the one in front. Hupago to lead away, right? Or to bring under in such a way behind opiso that it is backward and you are the one in front. In other words, you regain the traction you would have lost 
by being carnally minded. You, you, are you following me? You recover the ground that you would have lost by allowing somebody else to control your life. You gain back the control that you had lost by allowing one prophet to tell you nonsense. You regain what you have lost by letting people teach you anthropos and teach you philosophia in the name of scripture. You do a straphase. And when you do a straphase, what do you do? You lead under, you take subjection and put it where? Behind. It wasn't a physical get behind me. Opiso. Backward. Such that you are the one in front and he, had no, he has nothing on you. That's what Jesus could say, the prince of this world comes, but he finds nothing in me. Get behind me, Satan. Satan has, right? Adversary. For you are an offense or stumbling block, which is the word what? Scandalon. Scandalon with a K instead of a C. S-K-A-N-D-A-L-O-N. Scandalon. And scandalon means a snare, like, you know, a, a trap. Yeah? A snare. Not snare drum. A snare is a trap you set for an animal to fall in. Yeah? So, a snare is what's scandalon. A snare, a stumbling block, an offense, and this is crucial, a cause for error. What causes somebody to walk in error? That's Satan. Satan is the error causer. Satanos. The cause for error. How does error come? By taking your eyes off eternal things and looking to Satanos. The next word is a crucial word. That's the word for not mindful. Yeah? For you're not mindful. Go back in, in yes, thank you. For you are not, can you see it in verse 23? Matthew 16, 23. New King James. For you are not mindful of the things of God but of the things of men. The word mindful is the word phronais. P-H-R-O-N-E-I-S. Phronais from the word phronio. P-H-R-O-N-E-I-S. From the word phronio, P-H-R-O-N-E-O. Mindful of means to have an understanding about, not just thinking about. Does that make sense? To have an understanding about, to think about something to the point where you're conscious of it. When you're conscious of something, whatever you're conscious of influences what you do. So, the problem why the reason why we end up not doing what we intend to do is not because we haven't thought about it or because we don't know it, but because we are not conscious of it. Every non-performance is a function of unconsciousness. Every. What you're failing at, what you're forgetting, is what you're not conscious of. That's why we're teaching this series. To be conscious, to think about something to the point where you're now conscious of it. That's the word phroneus or phroneo. It means to direct your mind towards a thing. Like aphorontes with your eyes, phronesis, phronesis with your mind. To focus your mind on one thing. To seek and to strive for that thing. So Jesus says, you have no understanding of the things of God. Your understanding is just of the things of men.
You're not thinking about or being conscious of the things of God. The way that you are thinking of and being conscious of the things of men. Your entire mind is not directed at God. Instead, it is directed at man. You are not seeking and striving for, with your thoughts, the things of God, but the things of men. And what does that make you? An enemy of the cross. A stumbling block. An offense. That's the word for nays, from the word for nail. And the word, of course, for man, you know now, is the word anthropon, spelled anthropon, A-N-T-H-R-O-P-O-N, from the word anthropos, which means mankind or man, in a generic, general sense. So consciousness informs performance, right? Consciousness informs performance. Hallelujah. So now, based on this exegesis of these words from the original language, let's teach Matthew 16, 23 together from the understanding of what we have on here. So, based on this, we're going to reword Matthew 16, 23, okay? Jesus switched on him, deviating from what Peter had introduced at the time. That's the word, strafase, and said... I bring you under me such that I tower above you and I'm ahead of you, adversary. Because you are capable of causing me to walk into error by being conscious of or directing your mind to the things of man instead of the things of God. That's the exegetical answer. To this verse. I'm going to snatch this narrative back from you. I'm switching it back from where you have taken it. Re recalling the dynamic you have introduced. I bring you under me. Such that I tower above you and ahead of you. Adversary because you are capable of causing me to walk into error. By being conscious of. And fixated on. And your mind directed on carnal things. Manly things as opposed to supernatural things. Doesn't that call into mind 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Where it says we cast down. Every imagination, I think it's NIV that, that renders that, 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 that verse, that word for cast down every imagination. It calls it arguments. We cast down every argument. Verse 5, 2 Corinthians 10, 5. Casting down arguments, can you see it? So I've explained this before when I taught it a long time ago, maybe like two years ago in this house. I told you that that scripture has nothing to do with witches and wizards. Because you will not call them arguments. We cast down Arguments and every high thing that exalts itself above the knowledge of God. Let's see this in the, in the, in the TPT. Okay, see how TPT renders it. We can demolish every deceptive fantasy. That's not a spirit. That's a thought. That opposes God. Can you see that? And break through every arrogant attitude that is raised up in defiance of the true knowledge of God. That's what we're doing now by teaching. It continues. We capture like prisoners of war every thought and insist that it bows in obedience to the anointed one. It's not, it's not about witches and wizards or demons. It's about philosophia and anthropology. It's about carnal thinking, human thinking, all the stuff that is now resident in our Christian gatherings today. 
And what did Paul say we should do to those things when we find them? Call them captive. Strafes. Confront it. Turn it. Straighten it out. Change the dynamic. Put Christ back on display. Put Christ back on display. I can finish this. I've preached my message. Psalm 119 verse 33. I can finish this in 20 minutes. Psalm 119 to 40. If you help me there, Pastor, that would be great. Psalm 119 from verse 33 to 40. This is, oh, why did I even, I just skipped this one because the exegesis in this text is a lot. But all you guys who go and do it at home. David is saying, teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes and I shall keep it to the end. Okay, in, in, in Psalm 139 alone, the number of references that David makes to your word, your testimonies, your status are about 40 in number. Exactly 40 times in Psalm 119. That chapter alone, he mentions your word, your statutes, your testimony, your law, your ordinances. Yeah? 40 times. 33. Just from 33 to 40 alone, you see. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes and I shall keep it to the end. David, you know what he was saying. Give me understanding and I shall keep your law. Indeed, I shall observe it with my whole heart. Make me walk in the path of your commandments. For I delight in it. Now he thought he was praying about the law of Moses. Incline my heart to your testimonies. And not to covetousness. Are you seeing that? Stay in 36 and switch to the TPT. Cause my heart to bow before your words of wisdom. And not to the wealth of this world. And not to the wealth of this world. Pastor, are you saying we should not be rich? I haven't said that. If you heard that, you are very malicious. But you cannot be chasing something that has no eternal value. At the expense of what gives eternal value. 37. Help me turn my eyes away from illusions. And pursue only that which is true. Drench my soul with life as I walk in your paths. 38. Reassure me of your promises. For I am your beloved, David. This is David. Your servant who bows before you. 39. Defend me from the criticism I face for keeping your beautiful words. 40 and the last verse. See how I long with cravings for more of your ways. Let your righteousness revive my spirit. All David was saying here was just give me Jesus and take everything else away. Because who is your righteousness? Jesus. Who guarantees your obedience? Jesus. Who is your obedience? Who is your heart and your regeneration? Christ. All he was screaming for. That was the city whose builder and founder is God. That they kept seeing and kept seeing and kept seeing. He says, no, no, no. Take me away from wealth. Luke 12 and 15. You hear the words of Jesus. Speaking to the people, somebody came to Jesus and said to him, Jesus, can you command my brother to share our inheritance with me? So basically, it means that somebody felt that his brother had stolen the inheritance. And Jesus said, <laughs> very harshly in verse 14, I think of 14 or 13, and said, my friend, who told you I'm a judge over you to, to, to handle such carnal matters? TPT, yeah? My friend, you can't expect me to help you with this. It's not my business to settle arguments between you and your brother. That's yours to settle. 
Jesus knew when something was coming to distract him from purpose. Go back to 13. I'm trying to step ahead because of time. But, but I, I like to show you pretext for context. 13. Sit in 13. Just then, somebody spoke up from the crowd and said, Master, you should tell my older brother that he has to divide the family inheritance and give me my fair share. And a lot of you come to church thinking that pastor is the one that can do what ordinary you would have paid a lawyer to do. Ordinarily what you would have paid a doctor to do. That's why you want to kill your pastor. What you should allow your pastor to do in your life, you cover it by what is not relevant to his ministry. The role of a pastor in your life to teach you the precepts of God's word, to grow you in discipleship, you get offended by it. You sleep when he's teaching. But you have a problem. It's pastor that should buy you airtime. You, you have a phone issue. Pastor should give you a phone. You have a house rent issue. Pastor should give, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But it shows that you are carnally minded. You are poor in spirit. Your points be alone in stature in spiritual things. Because what your pastor teacher should do in your life, you have mortgaged it. You have mortgaged it for now. You have turned your pastor to your constituency member when he is walking free and stealing money. So Jesus is teaching, and what you came for was to use the for Jesus to use his influence. To settle your family matter. Jesus, your elder brother said, why is that my business? Oh, I love him. Verse 14. Message. Luke 12, 14. Some people are shocked that this is in their Bible. Jesus replied, Mr. Let's use Nigerian accent. Mr. What makes you think it's any of my business to be a judge or mediator for you? Was Jesus saying he was wrong? No. But at that point, Jesus understood that this was a distraction. So what did he do? Straface. Turned it. He turned it. You won't get me with this. You won't. It tried to happen in Acts 5 with the apostles into Acts 6. Distribution of food was becoming an issue. These widows are doing that. That widows are doing that. Hey, choose you. Seven men that you know have the Holy Spirit. Bring them. We commission them to serve tables. We give ourselves to prayer and to ministry of the word. He was not saying that serving tables was an issue or that it was less in value. But that was at that point beginning to become a carnal thing to pitch them against the cross. So he nipped it in the bud. He turned it. Look at the men that were serving food. Philip. <laughs> Stephen. Imagine the amount of grace they carried to serve food. Jesus said to them, what's my business? How's that my issue? Then he continued from that thought into verse 15. See verse 15. Stay in the message. Speaking to the people, he went on. Can you see that? So I'm, not, I'm not covering wool over your eyes, right? He spoke to the people, he went on. He said, take care. Protect yourself against the least bit of greed. Life is not defined by what you have. Even when you have a lot. Switch to the TPT. 12.15. Speaking to the people, Jesus continued, be alert. Go on. And guard your hearts from greed and always wishing for what you don't have. For your life can never be measured by the amount of things you possess. So why bother? Why bother? You're looking at your account balance. You start to get threatened when your account balance is going, going down. Because your entire security is in how much is in your credit balance. 
Have you ever seen a bullion van accompanying a hearse? Have you ever seen a trunk carry everything in the man's house and following the dead body in the ambulance to go and bury with him because he needs it where he's going? They're angry. Yeah, they're secreting the dead. The dead does not know. Light. The Hollandis. Those days. George. Lace. The mosquito net, the lights put in the room, everything that was in that lane in state room. And the boys are look hungry boys. They're looking at you buried. They will take it. They did nothing wrong. It was you that was foolish enough to put it there. It's for the living, it's not for the dead. <laughs> Just upset. The person they robbed does not know. Amplified, Luke 12, 15. Then he said to them, Watch out and guard yourselves against every form of greed for not. Even when one has an overflowing abundance, does his life consist of, nor is it derived from his possessions? This is Jesus speaking. It's very clear. So where have we gotten our theology from, oh Christians? Where have we gotten the plethora of meetings from? Isaiah chapter 1, from verse 12. Isaiah chapter 1, from verse 12. Message, yeah? When you come before me, whoever gave you the idea of acting like this, running here and there, doing this and that, all this sheer commotion in the place provided for worship? 13. Quit your worship charades. I can't stand your trivial religious games. Monthly conferences, weekly Sabbaths, special meetings, 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 meetings. I can't stand one more. 14, meetings for this, meetings for that. I hate them. You've worn me out. I'm sick of your religion. Religion, religion. Why you go right on sinning? Sinning, Hamasha, missing the mark, going against. Who has bewitched us? A meeting of Ecclesia. Today is business seminar. Tomorrow is market seminar. Today is discovering your purpose. The day after that is relationship seminar. Then it's Bitcoin. And that's why churches, pastors are leading their members to invest in sponsor schemes. And in cooperative stuff. And, and, and how, have you thought of how you will give account for that? Does it occur to you? Because what will keep you faithful in ministry is not your physical strength. It's the understanding of when you will give account. What will you say? What will you say? What will you say? A man's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he has. That's why I'm, we have trained ourselves to be very, very amaterial. What, what is it? What is a phone? What is a car? What is a house? Two houses, three. You can't sleep in all at the same time. What is it? Have a car to match every attire you wear. Then what? Then what? And it's poverty. Poverty to amass and amass and amass more than you have need. The writer says godliness with contentment is great gain. Matthew 6, 19 to 21. Matthew 6, 19 to 21. Jesus speaking says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Can you see that? Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be 
also. Stay in 21, give us the TPT. For your heart will always pursue what you value as your treasure. For your heart will always pursue what you value as your treasure. In other words, your pursuit establishes your value. Your pursuit highlights what you place a premium on. Do you understand? You cannot say that your heart is loving a thing that you're not investing in. Don't make it full of yourself. Because if your heart is set on a thing, everything about your investments are towards that thing. Everything of your commitment is towards that thing. Your entire time is towards that thing. Your entire sacrifice is towards that thing. Your entire devotion is towards that thing. So Jesus tells you, set your sights on me. Say, set your sights on things above. Who is above? Him. Jesus said, he that is from above is above all. John 3. So when he says, set your eyes on things, he's saying, hey, me, I am your, I am your riches. I am your riches. I am your wealth. I am your fulfillment. I am your gratification. I am your satisfaction. You can't find it anywhere else. So keep your eyes on me. Focus on me. Phronese on me. Afrorontes on me. See me. I am your value. Says the Lord. I am your worth. Says the Lord. I am your sufficiency, says the Lord. I am your inheritance, says the Lord. I am your blessing, says the Lord. No material thing can do that to you. None. None. No material thing is more important than its use in actualizing the immaterial. Money. Money is a tool. Money is a servant. It comes and it goes where the Lord will have it go. Say two, don't treat money as a virtue. Don't treat money as an asset. It's too fleeting. Money is a tool. It's a cheap servant. Money is a junior servant compared to the other things we're doing business with. Money. Money. It comes and goes. We are conduits of money. We're conduits of resources. We don't have to stack it up in the bank. Of what use is it in the bank? That's where they break in and steal. That's what Jesus is saying. That's where moth and rust. I know the significance of the systems of this world that always go for something that is idle. Moth and worms don't come at something fresh. No. So by the time they're attacking something, it's been there too long. But they can steal your money, you have kept too much. Are you hearing me? Yeah. yeah. You have kept too much. If inflation can hit your money, you have kept too much. We're conduits because our citizenship is in heaven. So even our material investments, acquisitions, and apprehensions are towards advancing the culture of the kingdom. So it's not any more important than that. This is Jesus speaking. For where the treasure of a man is, there his heart will be also. Let's see it in the message. For your heart will always pursue what you value as your treasure. The message says it's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is, is the place you will most want to be. 
and end up being. Because you can't love someone and not want to be with them. You can't love someone and create excuses to not be with them. You can't love a place and not find reason to constantly be there. So where you constantly are or desire to be if you're not, what you constantly acquire or desire to acquire if you don't already have are the hallmarks and indicators of where you, what is your pursuit. These are the things that shows what you treasure. And a son of God who is caught up in Christ has only one investment point. The kingdom. The kingdom. Proverbs 11, 23 or 24. Give me New King James so I can identify it quickly. Try 24. Yes, 24. Thank you. There is one who scatters yet increases more. And there's one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. Let's see other translations. There is one who generously scatters abroad and yet increases all the more. And there's the one who withholds what is justly due, even what you meant you are meant to withhold. You, with, you withheld it, but it results only in want and poverty. There's how what you thought you needed can keep you away from what you really need. But there's a need. I, who was I telling? Because I was saying, I've learned that I don't have money. It means a million different things. It means I don't have money to give to what you're asking me for money for. It means I have money, but I've kept it for rent, so it cannot, so as far as what you're asking for is concerned, I don't have. It means I've kept money in the bank in another account, I don't have the ATM for it, because I don't want to have ATM, so I cannot spend it. And the list is endless. It mostly means everything except I don't have money. And again, that is a poverty mentality. Because you are keeping, look at, it, look at it in the mess. Okay, when we, we're in the NLT. Give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. That's NLT. What does the message say? The world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. Because it just shows where your heart is. You never get enough. 2019 Rolls Royce cooling around, you buy it. 2020 Rolls Royce cooling around, you buy it. 2021, the year has not arrived, but the car is present because of the greed of man and the desire to outdo each other. That's the only reason why car makers produce a car of a year that hasn't come. So you can feed your stupid egoistic pride and feel like, I have next year's car. I have next year's car. One of only eight in the world. One of only ten in the world. Nothing but stupid bragging rights that add nothing to your life even on the earth. Even on the earth. Even on the earth. Ah, Paul says, my little children whom I labor, Galatians 4.19, labor with birth pangs that Christ be formed in you. That Christ would dwell in your heart richly through faith. Ephesians 3. Richly, dwell in your heart. Richly take up residence in your life. When Christ is fully residence in your life, material things are the last thing on your mind. You'll be hiding. You, you go and hide alone and eat. Hide alone. Hide alone and buy dress. Hide, hide alone. You hide alone, do it. I say, I don't have. I'm busy. 
It's when it's time for Bible study that you sleep. You're busy. You're tired. You don't understand what the pastor is preaching. Speaking too much English. I've lost my entire accent because of you. You still cannot comprehend what I'm saying. And we start to give excuses when it comes to spiritual things. Excuses why you are not growing. Excuses why you are not, you don't have data to download 200 megabytes of a teaching. But you download a whole series of power. Whole series of groanish. In one night, please borrow me hotspot. Let me check my Facebook. You have downloaded a movie for one gig. People like you make us change our hotspot password regularly because we know you. Once you log in, we log out. <laughs> but when Christ richly dwells in your heart through faith, the Christ conscious believer, the Christ conscious believer is fixated, 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 fronays, fixated, fixated, fixated on eternal relevance, fixated on the kingdom. Fix, fixated, fixated, not on earthly pursuits. How much do you want to have? How much do you want to hide? And that's why the world makes a mockery of the church and the, the church is spineless, the true church. Not the business centers. And this is what makes the people in those business centers begin to question you and think, are you as successful as my father and the Lord? When Jesus said success is not measured by that parameter. We may declare Paul said in, to the Corinthians, he says, in having nothing, yet possessing everything. In having nothing, yet possessing everything. What, what, what will what you have achieve for the kingdom today? That's how a Christ-conscious believer thinks. Did you hear what I just said? What will what I have achieve for the kingdom today? What will it do to advance the formation of Christ in the life of a believer today? That's how we operate. There's nothing you will not give. It's meant for this bill. There's a need here. This bill becomes priority. You do it and you won't think about it. You will spend and be spent. We will borrow. Trusting God. He can come through. If it's his will, it's his bill. And what have, for us, taking something is, is faith for me. Take this, put here. Father, you, now you are indebted to supply. We'll pay for this. Not sitting down waiting for the to come. No, I just jump in because I trust that. I judge him faithful, like Abraham. Faithful is he who has said he will also do it. So may I jump in in faith. It will only fail if it's not God. We're not afraid of investing for the kingdom. We're not afraid in doing whatever it takes to, to see that Jesus covers the earth as the waters cover the sea because he is the knowledge of the glory of God. It's he. We're, we're investing in our hometown. That's why, that's why Igbo villages are some of the richest villages in Nigeria. It doesn't matter where an Igbo man is. The Igbo culture has it that if you have not built a befitting house in your village, you are not a man. That's the Igbo culture. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your acquisition is. So you see Igbo men who build their first house in their village. While renting where they are domiciled. Where, where, while renting in the place that provided the money to, pro, to produce the house in the village. And you see the amount of edifices in Igbo villages that are inhabited once a year or twice. New Year festival, Christmas. Because they have understood 
that no investment is higher than that in where you are from. Now Jesus tells them, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts. Jesus tells them, this is why the children of this world in their day are wiser than the sons of light. If, an, if a natural man can understand that no investment is more important than the investment in my place, what is wrong with you as a son of God? Why are you investing in the cosmos of Satan if your citizenship is truly in heaven? Above, he that is above, the word above is ano. It's from the same word from which you get anogenav, which is the word for born again. So born again actually means born from above, ano. So if you are born again, it means you are born from above. So set your minds on things Above, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 2. Put it up. I'm trying to close. Colossians 3, 1, 2, and 3. I need verse 2. Verse 2 says, set your minds on things above and us, not on things on the earth. Verse 1. If you were then raised with Christ, if then you were raised with Christ, if truly you are raised with Christ, seek the things which are ano, above, where Christ is. Sitting at the right hand of God, verse 2, set your mind from the east on things above, not on things on the earth. And that's how we know sons who believe in Christ Jesus. He's got their money. He's got their time. He's got their devotion. He's got their attention. He's got their self-service. He's got their sacrifice. He's got their resources. He's got their strength. He's got their might. He's got their prime. He's got their zest. He's got their commitment. Because that's where we are from. And in our village, we have been taught to invest in where we are from. Because in our village, a thief can break in and steal what we plant there. In our kingdom, moth and rot cannot touch. And I'll show you next week how when we stand before God to give account of what we did in the body, this is what will matter. I will show you how Paul says that in 1 Corinthians 9 that in a race everyone runs but one obtains the prize. He says, therefore you run so as to obtain the prize. Verse 26. That prize there is not salvation. I buffet my body. I subject myself so that when I finish running, I will not be be, be disqualified. First Corinthians 9. I'll show you what it means. What disqualified means. Not disqualified from salvation. But how we, did, how we understood that I must invest in where I'm going. That's only what will count. Eternal relevance. Take a minute tonight and just reflect and meditate as we close. We're investing in our hometown. Investing in our townspeople. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening, and we hope it has been a blessing to you. For inquiries and further information, please send us an email to info at the or visit our social media platforms.